Good morning, church family, and anyone else who may be joining us online this morning. My name is Gardner, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Connect Church. Now, I know this is not under ideal conditions as we all brace for the impact of Hurricane Ida um, and also through this medium as well. However, I'm so thankful that you have joined us uh, for this brief message. And just know that we are praying for you and we're praying for our city um, during this time. Now, today we're continuing our series on spiritual warfare. And this unseen war, as we're calling it, is continuing all around us. And it actually requires that we as Christians be ready and put on the full armor of God. Now, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verses thir- verse 13, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. So he tells us to take up this whole armor of God. And today we're just going to consider one aspect of the Christian's armor, his shoes or his boots. And in our day, you know, we have shoes for, well, pretty much anything, right? You've got, I've got shoes for work. We've got shoes uh, for church. We've got shoes for running. You name it. And, you know, it's important that our shoes are actually appropriate for the task at hand. Uh, when I was in college, it was necessary and actually very necessary that I laced up my purple cleats before I went on to the football field. Not only did they look great, and they certainly did, um, but they uh, provided a firm footing, right? I played offensive line, so I had to have a firm base from where I could uh, push the other team out of the way. So could you imagine a football player who instead of cleats was wearing dress shoes, you know, some really nice loafers or something? No, he, he wouldn't stand a chance. He would be sliding all over the place and on his back. Well, in a similar way, it's important that we have the proper footwear as believers when we go into spiritual battle. So we're going to read about it in our text not very long. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. Paul says this, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So Paul instructs us that the shoes which will give us firm footing in this spiritual war is the readiness or the preparation given by the gospel of peace. Now notice that Paul highlights not merely the gospel, which he is highlighting, but he calls it the gospel of peace. And this gospel of peace defends us from the attacks of the devil and actually allows us us to advance with the message of Christ. So this morning we're going to consider three, uh, three three provisions from the gospel of peace and two ways that it prepares us. So first, the gospel provides us with peace with God. Peace with God. So we know that due to our sin and rebellion, we are naturally at war with our creator. Have you ever thought about that? Now, instead of worshiping the God who gives us life, we all, each of us, have sinned and bowed down to false idols. This may look like different things. It could be work. It could be success. It could be money. All these different things. It could just be comfort. But we've all bowed down to false idols. And our sin is actually rebellion against our good God. So yes, everyone outside of Christ is at war with God. Now you may try to be a good person. And and you may even be somebody who admits, well, nobody's perfect. I'm imperfect. 
Or you may be someone who doesn't even believe in God. But the fact remains that unless you are united to Christ by faith, you are at war with God. Our sin is, it's really, if you think about it, an attack on God's authority. He says what's right. He gives us our law, and then we, we go against it anyway and transgress. So we're rejecting his authority and actually rejecting his kingdom. And no one is going to be able to stand up and defeat the eternal and sovereign creator. It's a losing war. So we don't want to be in this war. We want to have peace. We want to call a truce, right? The good news is that there is an avenue of peace, and it's offered to us in the gospel. This is one reason why Paul calls it the gospel of peace. In the gospel, we are actually reconciled to God. Our, our war with God, it comes to an end, and an eternal truce is erected. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, we are justified by faith in his finished work. On the cross, Jesus, he became an atoning sacrifice so that all who would believe in him could have his or her sins forgiven. And when a sinner believes in Christ by faith, they are declared righteous and have the merits of Christ counted as their own. Paul explains this to us in a few chapter, chapters earlier in Ephesians, actually. Uh, Ephesians 2, 13 through 14 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall of hostility is over. Right, we have peace with God. That enmity with God and man is canceled and erased by the blood of Jesus, our mediator. In the words of Isaiah, upon him, meaning Jesus, was the chastisement that brought us peace. The ending of this war is not the only aspect of peace that is offered in the gospel, however. We also have a new relationship with him. One of a son, Ephesians 1, 5 through 6, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So in Christ, we're not only forgiven of our sins, we're not only justified, which are great truths, right? We are actually adopted by the Father. John 1, 12 through 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not, nor of the will or of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. J.I. Packer says, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Adoption is this abiding blessing where we have the fellowship and the affection of the Father. All of the Christian life can really be understood in light of our adoptions as son. I'm not an enemy with God. I'm actually a son of God. And our sonship prepares us for any circumstance we may face, any attack of the devil. We do not have to worry if God is for us, right? We do not have to try and figure out our status based off our works. All right, am I in God's grace? Am I not? We have God as our father, and he's a good father. You know what good fathers do? They don't abandon their children, and he will bring good thing, all things together 
for our good. So if you don't know Jesus, if you're still at war with God, would you look to him in faith? Would you look to him and receive him even today, even right now, wherever you are, you can start a relationship with Christ and be forgiven of your sins. And that war that you have with God will be over and you can become one of his sons. Well, next we see that the gospel actually provides peace with ourselves. Peace with ourselves. Well, one of the most prominent attacks of Satan against believers is actually on the conscience. So in some ways, we're kind of at war with ourselves, right? He tries his best to make us doubt our salvation, and he tries his best to make us doubt our standing before God. Have you ever experienced this? I know that there have been times in my life where the enemy has tried to make me remember my sins more than Jesus. He, he tells you that someone like you could never be saved or that nothing, not even the blood of Christ, could cover your sins, which are obviously wrong, but he, he lies to us. They're lies. And he does everything he can to persuade us that we're not in a good standing with God. But, you know, that can bring torment onto your soul to, to not know that you're right with the Lord, to, to, to try to be understand based off of just what I did today, whether I'm in his graces or not. It's tormenting to our souls. The reality, though, is that even the very best Christians are tempted. We all are tempted and attack at some point. This doesn't mean that what the enemy is saying to us is true or, or what we're trying to tell ourselves is true. He is a liar and always has been, even from the beginning. Maybe you have a loss of joy or comfort or a circum, very like specific circumstance. It's really less left you vulnerable to this attack. But believer, you can overcome this attack of the conscience and you can have peace with yourself. We can have peace with ourselves, or what the Puritans call peace of conscience. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So while on earth Jesus promised us, his, his, his uh, believers, his disciples, promised us his peace. And it is available to everyone through the gospel of peace. Yes, your sins may be many. Yes, you may have, have even recently fallen into sin, even, even egregious sin. But if you repent of your sins and you look to Christ, truly rest and receive all that he offers, I'm telling you, you can have full assurance of your standing before God and a peace that you are his. How much better is life? How much easier is it to go through our days when I'm not having to constantly trying to figure out where I am before God, but I know that I have a good standing. I can face all sorts of things because I know who I am. I know my identity in Christ. The remedy for doubt, the, the way to repel Satan's attack is to look to Christ, to continue to seek him in his word and through prayer. And as you look to Christ and he continues to work in you, you will have confident assurance in him. No matter what you face, you won't be saying, well, this bad thing happened to me. I must be out of God's grace. The gospel also provides peace with one another. Peace with one another. We live in a fragmented and broken society, don't we? I mean, it, it seems like every day there's some other reason that people have to be at each other's necks, right? Every single day. Today, every issue is a, a top-tier issue, and the world tells us to hate those that we don't share 
full agreement with. You know, if you have a different political view or you, you think differently on a certain issue, it means that you can't be friends. You can't even hang out anymore. You've got to just be at each other. Now, we know that this is due to sin and, and the world system. But remember that Satan is often behind such division. He loves it. What more would he like than to see hate thrive in our world? He also sows the, the division that we find in our churches, seeking to destroy the church through willful, willful separation and, and even abandonment. Thomas Brooks said in his great work, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, which I would highly recommend, he says this, Satan has his devices to destroy the saints. And one great device that he has to destroy the saints is by working them first to be cold and then to divide and then to be bitter and jealous and then to bite and devour one another as we find in Galatians 5.15. How true is that? Now, if we were like the world, we would have no remedy for this attack. It would just snowball into defeat. There would be no basis for us to have peace and reconciliation. And while we may not be able, or we, we may not yell at each other right by ourselves, we can, we can be amicable. It's like, well, I'm not really going to talk to that person much, or I'll just have general conversation, but I'm still not really at peace with them. I don't have fellowship. There, there is a big difference between just being cordial and having genuine fellowship, isn't there? But in Christ, we can have real and abiding unity and peace with our brothers and sisters, something that the world is so looking for. They look for so many different ways to find peace, to find unity. Brothers and sisters, we have it. It's in Christ. And if the world could come to see him for who he is, we would have true unity, and these divisions would fall apart. Ephesians 2, 17 through 19 says this, And he came, and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're actually fellow citizens. We are closer with believers than even flesh and blood if they don't believe in Christ. Colossians three fourteen through 15 says this, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Brothers and sisters, we are not like the world. We are one in Christ. We are one body. We can have love, or we actually can love one another in harmony, because Christ has brought us together by his sacrifice on our behalf. These different political racial, societal, economic, class, whatever the distinctions may be, they cannot divide us. We have unity in Christ and God. He shows no partiality. The tribalism of our day, it poses a very real threat, not to the true church, not to the true believers, but to people in churches, people who would claim the name of Christ. Because it's only those who in Christ who will actually have abiding peace with one another until the end. It's no surprise that Jesus said, that the world would know who are his disciples. How? By the way that they loved one another. And we can love one another because of what Christ has done to us. We have peace. Well, now we see peace offered in the gospel, peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with one another. Those three things, peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with one another. 
I want us to briefly consider two provisions of the gospel of peace. Well, through ways it prepares us. First, the gospel of peace prepares us to share the message of peace. When our text says that our shoes should be the readiness given by the gospel, it seems to be looking back to an Old Testament text, Isaiah 52, 7. I'm going to read it for you. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Yes, our shoes, they give us a firm footing so that we can take the blows of the enemy, but they also allow us to advance forward with the message, the good news that man can have peace with God through Christ Jesus. We are messengers of peace. We're called to the forward of the, to spread this message because it is through God's word that God's spirit works and gives life. Romans 10:14 says this, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And a few verses later, verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So let's all commit ourselves, not only to experiencing this peace, but to sharing this message of good news, this gospel of peace. We live in a broken and a hurting world that is looking for answers. We have the answer. Be a messenger of peace. And don't let the enemy distract you. But finally, the gospel of peace prepares us for any circumstance. You know, the Christian life is not always rainbows and butterflies, is it? There are trials. There is suffering. But through it all, we can have peace. John 16, says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As believers, we truly can have peace in every season. Jesus even tells us there, we will have tribulation. Satan means uh, to, to, to suffer, or he means to take our suffering um, and our trials for evil. That's his intention. Consider how Satan afflicted Job in order to make him denounce his faith. At least that was his idea. He took away his family and his health. But Job stood fast. Consider how Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. He was falsely accused by people in power over him. And he was imprisoned. But he continued to serve the Lord and he had peace. And he was able to stay in Genesis 50-20. As for you, you meant it for evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And we know that through Joseph, uh, the people of Israel would, would continue their line and actually have food and be able to survive. I do not know all that you're going through, but I want you to know that God is not ignoring your suffering or your trial. God has a purpose for all that you're going through, and one day we will understand it. We, we will understand his plan fully, Believer, you can have peace, though, even now, even without all the answers, because you have a good father who loves you. You know that answer. I know we're all concerned about Hurricane Ida, and, and I don't know what's going to happen. Of course, none of us do. But, but I want you to know that we can have peace regardless of what comes our way, because our hope is in the Lord. As we worry and grow anxious, 
Let us turn to the words of Paul, who tells us in Philippians 4, 7, that if we rejoice in the Lord and let our requests be, named, be known, made known to God, that for, Philippians 4, 7, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, if you'd like to go deeper with your walk with the Lord, maybe you'd like to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, or if you'd like to be baptized or become a member, you can message us wherever you're watching this. You can follow one of the links under the video. Also, if there is any way at all, and I mean this, if there's any way at all that we can help you over these next few days, please reach out. We are here for you. We are praying for you. We are praying for God's mercy upon our city. But let us pray, and then we're going to close with a benediction. Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace to us. Lord, we thank you that we can have peace with you because of what your son has done. He has torn that veil of hostility. And we can have peace with God. We can have a peace of conscience, peace with ourselves. We can have peace with one another. Help us to be good deliverers of this message of peace. And Lord, be with us during our trials and our suffering, whatever it may be. Whoever's hearing this, Lord, just pray that you are there even in their suffering and give them peace. Lord, we pray for our city. I pray for everyone here for their safety, whether they've already evacuated or whether they're staying. Lord, we just pray, um, Lord, that this, this hurricane would not bring destruction. And Lord, we just pray for grace for anyone who is impacted by it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, our benediction comes from 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. God bless you.